0: James yes. okay. all right good evening everyone and welcome to the um, special city council meeting for the city of Alameda tonight is Wednesday October 25th 2023 and uh, we are going to open the meeting with the Pledge of Allegiance and I'd like to ask my council colleague Tracy Jensen to please lead please us try. Thank you. Thank you, Councilmember Jensen. Okay. So, um, we will now do a roll call, and City Clerk, uh, Laura Weisinger, I'm going to turn it over to you to explain how we're going to do things, because okay. it's a little bit unusual. And um, have we heard from our other colleague, um, Not. Let me, Councilmember Vella?
1: Okay. No. I'll text both of them. All um. right.
0: Oh, and we don't have our...
1: Remote. <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay. Well, rest assured, everyone, we have a quorum.
1: <laughs> we do. We have a quorum.
0: We um, have to be real unanimous, but okay. we'll, uh, we'll hope for um, others
1: to join you. us. How's that? Um, and then, okay, so uh, let me call the roll and then I'll explain. Uh, Vice Mayor Dasag? Here. Council Member Jensen? Here. <laughs> Mayor Ashcraft? Here. Um, so there are three council members present. Hopefully, Council Member Vella will be here in a moment, and hopefully, um, COUNCILMEMBER HERRERA SPENCER WILL BE JOINING US REMOTELY. Um, HER LOCATION WAS ADDED. SHE IS JOINING FROM A HOTEL IN uh, MASSACHUSETTS AND SHE WILL BE ON SCREEN.
0: AND and I'LL JUST NOTE FOR THE RECORD THAT I CAME FROM ANOTHER REMOTE MEETING BECAUSE THERE WAS A ZOOM MEETING ABOUT THE PROPOSED NEW SWIMMING POOL AT ALAMEDA HIGH. AND COUNCILMEMBER HERRERA SPENCER WAS ON THAT ONE. SO I HOPE SHE GOT THE MEMO THAT (laughs) THERE'S A SIX O'CLOCK
1: HERE. Okay, and then so tonight, it's since it's a special meeting for one topic, um, the council and um, staff presentation will not be timed, but public speakers will still be timed. And because uh, we have five or more public speakers, uh, each speaker will get two minutes. There is uh, Councilmember Herrera Spencer now. Not. Uh, we just started, Councilmember. Um, so, uh, and then Uh, basically, it's just the one item. So, the one item is introduction of ordinance amending article 15 of the Alameda municipal code amending and enhancing the rent control program's capital improvement plan program and terminating the current moratorium on CFP applications for properties that have 25 or more rental units, option A, and making other necessary updates or introduction of ordinance. Uh, An alternate ordinance amending article 15 of the Alameda Municipal Code terminating the capital improvement program and terminating the current moratorium on CIP application for properties that have 25 or more rental units, which is option B, and making other necessary updates and adoption of resolution repealing resolution 15138 that established the existing capital improvement plan policy for rental units in the city of Alameda and authorizing the creation of a temporary relocation tenants assistance program to provide emergency temporary assistance for tenants facing displacement and authorize the program. Administrator to adopt regulations to implement the program and adoption of resolution amending the fiscal year 23-24 general fund budget to appropriate $100,000 from the general fund residual fund balance for the temporary relocation tenant assistant program. These actions are exempt from environmental review because they are not projects as defined under the California Environmental Quality Act, CEQA Guidelines Section 15378B2, or because of no significant environmental impact, CEQA Guidelines Section 15061.
0: Thank you, Madam Clerk. And before I turn over the meeting to staff for presentation, I just want to run over some ground rules that we have um, for this meeting. So this is a business meeting, we're conducting the city's business, and you all have a your first amendment right to speak. Good reminder, If silencing cell phones is a good thing to do. I probably should do that myself. Um, but anyway, what we do ask is that you will have your time and the city clerk will let you know because it's either three minutes for up to to five speakers, but if we have more than five, everybody gets two minutes. Two minutes is still quite a bit, but what I do ask is that everybody be respectful of everyone else, which means please no applause, no boos, no cheers. We want everyone to feel very comfortable standing up and speaking, and sometimes people might be hesitant to um, express a view that isn't the majority view if they feel there might be a negative reaction. We don't want to, well, we do have those cell phones going, but we, we want everyone to feel welcome to speak, and so I would just ex, um, request no no applause, no boos, no jeers, no doing the wave. You have signs. That's your first amendment, right? I just ask that you don't hold it up so high that you block the view of the people behind you because they want to see too, but signs are fine. So with all that said, um, we let's get on to our um, one item. And shall I start with you, uh, Mr. City Attorney Ibn Shen?
2: Sure, I'm happy to Please. introduce the item, uh, Madam Mayor and members of the council and members of the community. Thank you so much for joining us tonight for the special City Council meeting on capital improvement plans. Um, this is a culmination of many years of uh, incredible work by staff. I want to first start by introducing the staff that has been working on this for the last two years, um, led by uh, Rent Control Program Director Bill Chapin, uh, rent program, hey
0: there, Mr. Chapin. So there he is.
2: <laughs> rent program manager uh, Ryan Halpern and Special Counsel Michael Roush. We want to. I also want to thank the many members of the community that came to our eight different uh, capital improvement plan uh, community meetings. We really appreciate your robust participation. We've listened. We've synthesized your comments, and we prepared uh, this presentation for you and for the council tonight for the council to consider two potential options for going forward on a permanent CIP recommendations include either a revised CIP program that provides enhanced tenant protections or, uh, and that would be option A, or option B, uh, the elimination of the CIP program. Um, Both of those are in front of the council tonight, and in addition to that, on an independent basis, based on our experience in running the program and consistent with council direction, we are coming also to the council to request um, this special relocation program that hopefully will provide um, an opportunity to reduce um, uh, the potential for tenants to not be housed due to an emergency situation. uh, WITH THAT, I'M GOING TO TURN IT OVER TO PROGRAM DIRECTOR BILL CHAPIN WHO WILL PROVIDE THE COUNCIL PRESENTATION TONIGHT.
0: WELCOME, MR. CHAPIN. All right.
3: Um, <clears throat> THANK YOU, MAYOR AND COUNCIL MEMBERS. Uh, AS DIRECTOR OF YOUR rent PROGRAM, IT'S MY PLEASURE TO BE HERE this evening to present to you two options to address the city's existing capital improvement plan, or CIP policy, uh, as well as the creation of a temporary relocation tenant assistance program. So the current CIP policy was adopted by council in 2016 as a way to encourage investment in uh, certain types of long-term improvements and to maintain the quality of the city's housing stock while uh, putting in place certain tenant protections. It allows landlords to submit proof of qualifying improvements um, that would include things like seismic retrofitting, roof replacements, new HVAC systems, et cetera, and to pass the costs through to tenants. It moderates these costs by spreading them out over long periods of time based on the useful life of the improvements. Uh, And it requires landlords to provide relocation assistance if tenants must be displaced, either permanently or temporarily. When Council enhanced our rent ordinance in 2019, there was recognition that the CIP policy would also need to be revisited and updated. Council requested uh, that staff return with proposed revisions, which we did in 2021 and 2022. Uh, However, each time there were concerns expressed by tenants and landlords, uh, which caused council to request further staff analysis and community outreach. Uh, Then in October of 2022, the ownership of South Shore Apartments submitted a CIP seeking to recover approximately $24 million in capital improvements. In response to concerns about the impact of a significant rent increase on potentially hundreds of tenants, and to give time for council to consider revisions to the CIP policy, in May, council imposed a moratorium on the submission and approval of CIP applications for properties that have 25 or more rental units, and uh, directed staff to return again after additional analysis and outreach, uh, which is what brings us here this evening. So one question that has uh, come up repeatedly uh, through this process is why uh, you uh, might want to have a CIP policy in the first place. Um, A CIP policy is, in many ways, a balancing act. Uh, It should address the needs and concerns of both landlords and tenants. uh, And there are certainly legitimate pros and cons to consider. First of all, CIPs are not uncommon in rent control jurisdictions, but they are not universal either. Uh, CIP policies are intended to provide benefits to tenants. Uh, Certainly there's a benefit in having greater assurance that your dwelling isn't going to collapse in an earthquake, uh, and perhaps paying a few more dollars uh, a month for that assurance is a trade-off that uh, might be be beneficial. On the other hand, A pass-through is a cost increase, and we already know that many tenants are already paying a burdensome portion of their income uh, on rent. A good CIP policy tries to limit housing insecurity by putting tenant protections in place, uh, but a cost increase is a cost increase, and if tenants are already rent and burdened, uh, it could, in fact, increase uh, uh, housing displacement. The policy is designed to incentivize specific types of renovations things that the city might want to uh, encourage like installation of water saving devices. Uh, But uh, there are certainly arguments to be made that uh, being a landlord is a business and that as a business uh, landlords should plan for and set aside money for needed improvements. Uh, And finally, CIPs can be complex and therefore difficult for program staff to process. But the alternative uh, likely involves more administrative hearings, which are costly. And speaking of those alternatives, uh, the alternative to a CIP is typically something that allows landlords to petition for a fair return. Alameda already has such a process in place. It was refined and updated as part of the overhaul of the rent ordinance in 2019. Uh, Fair return is a guaranteed right grounded in the Constitution. In the context of rent control, it means that landlords have a right to fair return on their rental properties uh, which courts have characterized as a return that's large enough to encourage good management, for example. Uh, Jurisdictions with rent control must have some sort of process in place to ensure that landlords can receive a fair return in order to avoid legal challenges. There are several ways that landlords can demonstrate fair return, uh, but the most common method, and the one that is most commonly accepted by the courts, is the maintenance of net operating income, or MNOI. Under this method, a landlord calculates their net operating income, revenues minus expenses, in a base year. Uh, Typically, that would be the year before rent regulations. so here in Alameda, our presumption is 2015. That number is then compared to the net operating income in the current year. If the landlord's income has not kept pace with inflation, then the landlord is entitled to a rent increase. In Alameda, as with most other rent-controlled jurisdictions, landlords can petition for such an upward rent adjustment by making the case in an administrative hearing. An independent hearing officer hears evidence, including documentation of MNOI, and makes a determination. As an alternative to filing a capital improvement plan, uh, a landlord may take the amortized costs of capital improvements and then include them as an expense when they're calculating MNOI for a fair return petition. Uh, Now, since the staff report was published, there uh, has been public comment on this issue that I wanted to address directly. Uh, THE QUESTION IS WHETHER CAPITAL IMPROVEMENTS MAY BE EXCLUDED FROM FAIR RETURN CONSIDERATIONS. Uh, ONE COMMENT SUBMITTED TO COUNCIL REFERENCED A MEMO POSTED ON THE RENT PROGRAM'S WEBSITE THAT uh, STATED MNOI CALCULATIONS COULD NOT INCLUDE uh, CAPITAL IMPROVEMENTS. STAFF REVIEWED THAT MEMO uh, AND WE DETERMINED THAT THE INTENT OF THIS PASSAGE, WHICH WAS ADMITTEDLY uh, A BIT CONFUSING, Uh, was to specify that a landlord couldn't include capital improvements that were already part of an approved CIP application. Uh, So essentially the point was to uh, avoid double dipping, uh, so to speak. Um, So we have since updated that memo to make that clarification. uh, But uh, we do want to be clear that staff stands by our analysis in the staff report. Based on legal precedent, we do not believe that Alameda can simply exclude capital improvements from our fair return process. Since the fair return petition process was updated in 2019, there have been 12 petitions filed. Uh, Only three progressed to a hearing, and in only one did the hearing officer determine that the landlord had successfully proven fair return based on MNOI. Uh, This resulted in an upward rent adjustment of roughly $75 for two rental units. Uh, It's much the same story when we look at the history of CIP applications. There have only been 14, and most have been denied, withdrawn, or suspended due to the moratorium uh, for larger properties. Uh, The denials were primarily due to a minimum cost threshold that's part of the current policy. Uh, This threshold is calculated by taking the average rent and multiplying it by a factor of eight. Uh, In practice, this results in some very high thresholds. Uh, A five-unit building, for example, that has average rents of $2,500 would require at least $100,000 investment in order to qualify for a CIP. Uh, Only one landlord has successfully sought to recover the cost of improvements and been approved for a pass-through, and this uh, resulted in a roughly $80 uh, increase for two rental units. Staff has conducted several focus groups over the last three years uh, in preparation for this with landlords, property managers, tenant advocates, and residents of South Shore apartments. Uh, each of these meetings generated feedback that informed and refined the staff report uh, that is before you this evening. Um, <clears throat> that those included adjustments to the cost thresholds, the percentage of costs that properties of different sizes may recover, and the types of improvements that qualify. Uh, staff has also had several public workshops to explain CIP policy and gather additional feedback, including one just last week. Uh, In general, during the outreach sessions, uh, tenants expressed strong opposition to the CIP policy overall and advocated for its repeal, while landlords expressed a preference for keeping a revised CIP policy in place. So based on council direction and stakeholder feedback, staff is presenting you with two different options, which we have dubbed option A and option B. For option A, staff has prepared a proposed update to the CIP policy that we think harmonizes it with the current rent ordinance, better balances the priorities and concerns of both landlords and tenants, and simplifies administrative processing. However, given the near unanimous opposition from tenants uh, that we heard uh, to the CIP program altogether, we have also prepared an option B that would repeal the CIP resolution from 2016 and eliminate references to CIPs from the rent ordinance. Uh, Option A would essentially make the moratorium on CIPs for projects with 25 or more units permanent, though those landlords would be eligible to use the fair return petition process. Option B would basically eliminate CIPs as a possibility for properties of all sizes. Uh, But similarly, landlords would be able to make use of the fair return process. Uh, Option B is frankly fairly straightforward, uh, and it basically defaults to the existing petition process. Uh, Should council take this approach, staff would make some enhancements such as updating the uh, petition application form to include a section on capital improvements, and preparing a comprehensive amortization schedule uh, that would specify what we consider the useful life of various types of improvements. Um, Option A is more complex, so we're gonna be focusing on it a bit more for most of the remainder of the presentation here, uh, but staff is not recommending one over the other. We think that both are viable options. So to inform Council's decision, uh, staff looked at 22 jurisdictions in California with rent control. Uh, Among them, nine cities, including Alameda, have a CIP application that is separate from their fair return processes. Uh, The list continues here, and if we're looking at cities with renter populations comparable to Alameda, Mountain View is probably the closest that has a CIP program. Uh, Staff has had a couple of conversations with Mountain View staff uh, and we have based uh, some of our recommendations on their policy. So here's a closer look at the (coughs) CIP policies in those eight other cities. Uh, Two important things to note, Uh, Alameda is the only jurisdiction that currently employs a cost threshold in order to qualify for a CIP. Uh, As mentioned before, the threshold formula in practice means a high bar to qualify, Uh, and keep in mind that a large cost threshold is a bit of a double-edged sword for tenants. Uh, It does mean that some projects may not qualify, but then those that do qualify are going to be guaranteed to have a large pass-through that goes on to tenants. So taking uh, all of this into account, this is what staff has prepared as option A for your consideration. Uh, If adopted, it would revise the CIP policy in a few key ways. Uh, Similar to the policies in Mountain View and San Francisco, Option A creates some tiers of properties that are based on the number of units, with landlords of larger properties eligible to recover reduced percentages of the total cost of the improvements. Uh, For example, uh, 50% recovery for properties that have 16 to 24 units. Uh, As with San Francisco, uh, however, 100% of the cost of seismic upgrades could be recovered uh, as long as the property has 24 or fewer units. Uh, Option A would create two caps on pass-throughs. First, the maximum pass-through could not exceed 5% of the tenant's current rent at the time that staff is processing the application. And additionally, when it comes time to impose the pass-through and with any future rent increases, the combination of the annual general adjustment and any use of banking plus the CIP altogether cannot exceed 8% of the tenant's rent. Uh, The cost threshold would be changed to flat rates of $10,000 overall and $1,000 per unit. At the request of tenant stakeholders, we have included a tenant hardship provision to exempt low-income tenants uh, from Um, pass-throughs. Option A retains all of the current types of qualifying capital improvements and then makes some additions. Uh, Since publication of the staff report, there's also been a question from council about whether lead abatement would or could be a qualifying improvement under option A. Uh, Currently, exterior painting is a qualifying improvement. Uh, However, lead abatement uh, includes much more than that. Uh, And given that, as well as the fact that Alameda is an active participant in the county's uh, lead poisoning prevention program, uh, we do think it's reasonable to add this to the list of qualifying improvements. And so if council does decide to adopt a revised CIP program, uh, staff is requesting that you uh, amend the ordinance that's been presented uh, with the uh, agenda uh, to specify that lead abatement would qualify. Uh, And finally, one more thing, uh, landlords would no longer be able to permanently terminate a tenancy in order to carry out capital improvement work. Uh, All of them would be treated as temporary uh, relocations. Uh, Staff believes that limiting the eligibility of CIPs to properties with 24 or fewer units is justified by the idea that owners of larger complexes have a greater ability to absorb the cost of capital improvements. Uh, These charts here show that properties with 25 or more units are more likely to have rents greater than HUD's fair market rents, uh, potentially uh, due to having more turnover as management can set new rents according to the market uh, whenever a unit becomes vacant. And in response to council's direction from uh, July of this year, uh, staff is further proposing a temporary relocation tenant assistance program to ensure that tenants immediately receive the temporary relocation payments that they are owed, whether that's due to an approved CIP, code violations or other health and safety conditions that force them to vacate their unit through no fault of their own. Temporary relocation payments were another provision that was enacted as part of the Enhanced Rent Ordinance in 2019. Uh, The intent is basically to cover the cost of temporary accommodations for tenants while their unit is not habitable, uh, and to ensure that the necessary repairs or constructions to allow them to move back in happen in a timely manner. Uh, Currently, the payment amount is a minimum of $240 per day, with the possibility of additional per diems for meals, laundry, and pet boarding uh, expenses. While many landlords do comply with this requirement, some delay compliance, uh, which results in a big financial burden for tenants who are paying out of pocket for hotel rooms. Um, And uh, frankly, in several cases, uh, staff has heard from those tenants that they are in danger of becoming unhoused. Uh, Staff is therefore proposing a grant program to be administered by the rent program that would provide the equivalent of whatever temporary relocation payments the tenant is owed for up to 14 days. To establish this fund, we are asking for a $100,000 one-time general fund transfer We estimate that this amount could provide these temporary relocation payments to approximately 20 tenants simultaneously for the full 14 days, which we think is sufficient to cover a worst case scenario. Um, The rent program would then seek reimbursement from the landlord who owes the payments uh, in order to replenish the fund. Uh, Staff recommends adopting the budget resolution to establish this program regardless of uh, whether Council decides to adopt CIP Program Option A or B. So to summarize, uh, staff recommends that Council update the current CIP policy by introducing one of the two ordinances presented for your consideration. Again, Option A would revise CIP policies by enhancing tenant protections, clarifying authorized improvements, and eliminating CIP for properties with 25 or more rental units. Option B would eliminate and discontinue all CIPs and staff furthermore recommends that council approve the establishment of a temporary relocation tenant assistant program and authorize a one-time general fund transfer of $100,000. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you, Mr. Chapin. Um, so uh, before we go to our public comment, I know we have public comment. Do we have any clarifying questions from any members of the council? Councilmember Harris Spencer has her hand up. Go ahead, Council
4: Member. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, My question goes to the tenant hardship was based on income. Is there a reason why it doesn't include assets?
3: Um, We uh, in, well, uh, the the tenant hardship uh, portion will be implemented uh, by a, um, administrative regulation to be, uh, to be adopted later if council decides. Um, so, uh, <clears throat> we do not necessarily need to, uh, adopt the specifics of how the, the tenant, uh, hardship program would work this evening, but, uh, staff would definitely take direction, uh, from council if you wish to make changes to, uh, how we are preliminarily proposing to do it. Uh, which I can say we looked closely at San Francisco's policy uh, when we were developing that, uh, and that primarily uh, looks at uh, tenants to decide if they qualify by either determining if they receive um, uh, assistance from means-tested uh, public assistance or if their income uh, meets a, a, a certain uh, percentage, well 80% is what we said, of the area median income. Uh, so um, we the, the the reason is is that we uh, we, we looked at uh, other jurisdictions, including specifically San Francisco, in developing that part.
4: Uh, so but, I appreciate that. I wasn't weighing in on uh, you know should it or shouldn't it. I was just wondering how you came up with what you you know what was in there. So I appreciate it. that. Thanks so much. Thank and that completes my point. All right.
0: Thank you. And I see uh, Councilmember Jensen has her hand up. Go ahead.
5: Um, thank you. My question is regarding the, um, the, the report. Alameda is the only jurisdiction that does not have a cap on the dollar amount of pass-through. Does um, option A include a cap?
3: Yes. So uh, <clears throat> what we are doing in order to bring Alameda in line with what other jurisdictions are is this idea of uh, uh, two percentage caps. Uh, The first is this 5% that's considered at the time that staff is processing the application, that basically sets a maximum uh, allowable CIP pass-through. And then when that pass-through is uh, implemented, which is done alongside the annual rent increases, uh, then uh, the landlord needs to look at this combination of the annual general adjustment and banking and the CIP Uh, And if those add up to more than an 8% increase uh, over the tenant's current rent, they will need to reduce either the CIP pass-through or the banking uh, that they were looking at including in order to get it down to that 8%.
5: And um, prior to this, to the moratorium, the the existing, the original CIP policy, was that 8% cap there or was it...
3: There was no cap. Uh, And so uh, essentially, it was just a matter of uh, when staff was processing a a CIP application, it was simply a matter of looking at, well, what's the total documented cost of qualifying capital improvements? What is the useful life of those capital improvements? And what happens uh, when you amateurize that amount uh, over the useful life of the improvements? Uh, and whatever uh, you know however large a percentage of the tenant's current rent that was, uh, there was there was nothing to limit it.
5: And um, the other question I had was regarding the uh, let's see the, um you mentioned this, and I didn't see it, I, I couldn't find it in the report, but you mentioned that the CIP passer limit is untested, or maybe that was in the report. That pass through because as you as uh, we just discussed. Oh, um,
3: I believe that you're referring to uh, state law, uh, AB 1482. Um, so, <clears throat> uh, uh, a few years ago, the legislature passed a, uh, a, okay. a uh, rent control provision uh, for, uh, for tenants in California. Uh, In general, it defers to local protections uh, when they are more stringent. Uh, In most cases, uh, our rent control protections are more robust, and so usually AB 1482 does not come into play. The one place where we expect that it could happen, uh, or one of the few places we expect it could happen, is if you are adding together uh, our AGA and our banking and, our, uh, and a CIP pass-through. Um, <clears throat> we think that that could begin to get up to that level of caps that are uh, there at state law, which uh, the, the way that it's written is it's either 10% or it is 5% plus the uh, change in the consumer price index. So uh, we, we believe that that uh, limit currently is 9.2% as a result uh, but it would, uh, it would always be at least 10%. Uh, so it is staff's opinion that um, CIP pass-throughs should be considered uh, when uh, considering uh, AB 1482's limits. But that is something that is not yet tested uh, in the courts.
5: So the 8% cap takes that into account
3: in place. The 8% cap would uh, basically be a, a local protection that would be more robust than AB 1482's 10% cap.
5: And then um, my final question that with regard to the state law, the fair return is that capped as well?
3: Uh, there, there is no cap on upward adjustments based on fair return uh, because fair return is a constitutionally uh, guaranteed right,
5: and that's the U.S. Constitution. And so, and that's not discretionary. The fair return is not something that could be capped at the local
3: level. Uh, yes, not by not by local law. Thank you.
0: Any further clarifying questions, Council? Okay, with that, um, let's go. Oh, sorry, I see Councilmember Harry Spencer's hand up again. Go ahead, Councilmember.
4: Thank you, May. I just had a quick question. Uh, well, so we had had the Beach and Tennis Club was already working through the process, uh, right? And then we did the moratorium. So is it staff's position that we can make this retroactive and it, and it would include the Beach and Tennis Club?
3: Uh Yeah, uh, it, it's. Staff's position that if you were to uh, take either either option A or option B, uh, the, uh, the, the moratorium uh, on uh, CIPs for properties with 25 or more units uh, would remain in effect up until this new policy takes place. Either option A or option B would maintain that, at, at the very least, would maintain that, uh that prohibition uh, option b would go beyond that and would eliminate cip for uh, uh, uh for all units uh i guess in in terms of uh i, I might defer <laughs> i might defer to uh michael or even about uh what that would mean in terms of uh you know the the city's uh Exposure uh, in, <laughs> in terms of the, the moratorium.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good call. Can you want to weigh in on the legal aspects, uh, uh, Mr. Shen? Uh,
3: I'm, I'm happy
2: to, uh, Madam Mayor and Council Member. As, as far as I know, it, um, uh, Director Chapin, is there a pending application
3: from oh. the Beach and Tennis Club? <clears throat> oh, uh, well. I, I'm sorry, I was, uh, I, I was uh, assuming that uh, we meant the, the, the South Shore the south Shore. as opposed to the beach and uh, tennis south club. South Shore apartments
0: uh, are different than uh, the South Shore Beach and Tennis Club. Uh, uh,
3: right. And,
2: and so I wanted to make sure the council member's question, if it was about South Shore, uh, the South Shore application will continue uh, to be stayed. And then if the council adopts a permanent policy, the application would simply be denied.
0: And Council Member Harris Spencer, were you referring to the South Shore apartments?
4: yeah I, I, yes i'm sorry so the one that was pending when we did the more moratorium uh, Torium yes. that's south shore then it uh, is correct yeah. uh, so that yes in regards to south shore um what happens because the right they were on the eve of getting their application approved they d- they'd spent my understanding is months working with staff all along the way so i want to see where is it staff's position that right now we could come back and we could say No CIP fair return only, and it would apply to that.
3: Uh, That is what we are recommending. Um, And uh, we have uh, uh, we we have not really gotten any uh, feedback one way or the other uh, from uh, South Shore's ownership uh, about the uh, the actions council took uh, to date. Okay.
0: Well, as far as legal opinions, I would look to the city attorney's office as opposed to the administration at South Shore Apartments. But I saw you, did I see you nodding your head, uh, Mr. Chen? Uh,
2: that's right, Madam Mayor and council members. That's right, we would uh, deny that application. Yeah, okay.
0: I, council Member harris Spencer, I knew you, you probably might not have been able to see the city attorney nodding his head, so for the clarification of... Sure that,
4: I'm sorry, I'm not sure that answers the question, though. I appreciate that you would deny the application based on if there's a change in policy, but is it staff's recommendation that changing essentially in midstream, that the months that they were involved has no impact and it's okay to go ahead and change policy at this point?
0: Um, and may I just ask for clarification from the city attorney? Are we still within the scope of clarifying questions or are we have we moved a little beyond that? Uh,
2: I THINK WE'RE OKAY. I THINK WE'RE OKAY. AND, and, and COUNCIL, the, the, THE SOUTH SHORE APPLICATION WAS BROUGHT TO YOU AS PART OF THE MORATORIUM, AND YOU IMPOSED THE MORATORIUM, AND THAT REMAINS IN PLACE, AND SO IT IS STAFF'S POSITION THAT THE COUNCIL'S MORATORIUM IS LAWFUL, AND THAT IF THE COUNCIL MAKES IT PERMANENT, IT WOULD BE LAWFUL. THANK YOU.
0: Thank you. ANYTHING FURTHER CLARIFYING QUESTIONS, COUNCIL MEMBERS? okay so one more time we're going to go to public comment and i believe um and city clerk you can clarify that we have some that are remote i point up here because the voice comes they're really you know just coming through the microphone but so it tells how you're going to proceed
1: okay so i will call five people in person and then we'll go to the remote and so um if the five people can be getting ready uh the first is darcy morrison then garfield Kingcross, then stacy rodriguez Efren Williams, followed by Doyle Saylor and that is with Darcy Morrison up first. And,
0: and, uh, Madam Clerk, is it um, fair to assume then that we have more than five speakers? Oh yes, speakers? everybody's
6: getting two minutes. <laughs> two minutes, okay.
0: All right, welcome. Come on up. And when you come up to speak, make that microphone your own. Bring it down to your level. It moves really Thank easily.
7: Thank Can you hear me okay? Or uh, well, you got to speak up a little bit. Okay, I'll yeah. try. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Hi. Okay. Hi. Uh, The rent program seems to be pushing CIP on the belief that some landlords might need help to cover maintenance. By pursuing this, they would make CIP available to all landlords without regard to income, including corporate landlords, and that's not necessary. By comparison, the fair return process provides a form of income testing that will enable landlords who cannot afford repairs to get increased rents. In other words, it selects for the landlords who need it. The problem with CIP is obvious. It lends itself to abuse by landlords, corporate landlords in particular, who could use CIP to deliberately displace tenants. We've already seen that at South Shore, which should be a sufficient case study. Even with income exemptions in place, higher income tenants in high rent buildings would be especially at risk. Implementing fair return, though, will, will require another discussion, and let's make it a community discussion. The rent program now wants to add a form of CIP to the fair return process, and tenants need time to research that proposal and look at the process in other cities. We've seen different language in Sacramento, for example. Finally, it's not clear why CIP. Enhancement to fair return is needed if it's already included in that process. This is confusing. It's well, the whole process is really, and for now, I think the city should maintain the mor- moratorium on CIP until we can resolve some of the confusion. Thank you. Thank you. Your next speaker
1: Garfield Kingcross. Welcome,
0: Mr. Kingcross.
8: Hello, uh, public and city council, Mayor Izzy Ashcroft, council members, and uh, our constituents from uh, both sides of the debate. Uh, I represent myself, and uh, I am a renter, and I have seen uh, quite a bit of the private equity firms uh, moving into a uh, commercial real estate market. This has uh, become a, uh, a crisis after this pandemic took uh, uh, and is creating this uh, potential financial collapse. Uh, J.P. J. Morgan uh, Chase Manhattan, uh, Blackstone. They, uh, I guess, Blackstone is involved in the uh, South Shore uh, situation. So, what what I've what I've noticed is that they have uh, the the concept that to raid public pension funds and to capitalize on a commercial real estate market is going to create. Uh, A floor, as it was called by one of the uh, Morgan representatives, a floor to prevent a financial collapse of the United States, which has become uh, quite evident that this could take place and that the renters in these cities that haven't promoted the rent control are highly susceptible to this type of corporate uh, dealing. So, I'm, I'm against- I, Thank you, sir. I,
0: Your time is up. Our next speaker. Stacy Rodriguez. Welcome, Speaker Rodriguez.
9: Thank you, council. If you don't know me by now, <laughs> uh, I am from South Shore. South Shore and this council has made history in the last six months and beyond. But we didn't come here to make history, we came here to make change. The sharks are swimming around our island city. Property pirates await your decision around CIP. The vultures hope Council will ease established rent control, weaken protection for tenants, and open the floodgates for the corporate profiteers to buy up our island and push us out. In May, you voted for a moratorium on CIP. Please use your vote again to protect us and generations to come. Set us free from CIP. Let's reflect on the spirit of the May 2023 Affordable Housing Proclamation signed by Mayor Ashcraft. And no council meeting is complete without the word, whereas. (laughs) Affordable housing is vital to healthy, safe, vibrant, and diverse communities. Rising housing costs have led longtime residents to be displaced, live in overcrowded and substandard homes or live in cars and on the street, threatening our region's diversity and economic prosperity. Whereas preserving existing housing supports stable, vibrant communities, helping residents maintain community roots and fostering racial and economic equity for generations. Whereas local jurisdictions, community and faith-based organizations, and others unite to interrupt patterns of racial and economic inequity in housing. Please, please vote to eliminate CIP. Vote to continue to advocate for affordable housing today and every day moving forward. SEND A MESSAGE TO BIG OUT OF STORIC STATE you.
0: PROPERTY. And YOUR TIME IS UP, SPEAKER. OUR NEXT SPEAKER.
1: AFRIN WILLIAMS.
0: SPEAKER WILLIAMS. THERE YOU ARE.
10: Welcome. HELLO, EVERYONE. SO BETWEEN 2020 AND 2023, CALIFORNIA'S POPULATION HAS DECLINED FOR THE FIRST TIME IN HISTORY, WHERE 800,000 RESIDENTS TO DATE HAVE LEFT THE STATE DUE TO UNAFFORDABLE HOUSING. But now there are almost 800,000 more housing units. The units are very expensive, as the new developments are multi-unit buildings that don't accommodate as many people per unit. People are looking for a combination of housing affordability and amenities. The Department of Finance has projected that California is going to essentially have no population growth over the next several decades. And that should make a sizable dent in our housing crisis. Do we really need to go that far or get to that point? Tenants should not have to pay for capital improvements. That's the property owner's responsibility. Every year, the tenants are paying an increase in rent, which property owners should reinvest in the property for upkeep, maintenance, improvements and still have a net income. The only alternative property owners can lawfully do is submit and go through the fair return process as long as capital improvements are not rolled into a fair return petition as many cities have implemented. We would like to be abreast of and have transparency on what the fair return um, enhancements will be under option B. And please do not use the base of 2015 to 2023, as Blackstone and Rock Point did not purchase South Shore until 2018. Until we can review the enhancements and ask questions for clarification. I AM ASKING COUNCIL TO EXTEND THE MORATORIUM SO THAT COUNCIL AS WELL WILL HAVE A BETTER UNDERSTANDING ON THE ENHANCEMENTS. THANK YOU ALL FOR YOUR TIME AND FOR YOUR EFFORTS.
0: THANK YOU. OUR NEXT SPEAKER.
1: DOYLE SAYLOR.
0: WELCOME SPEAKER SAYLOR.
11: Uh, MADAM MAYOR AND CITY COUNCIL, I AM DOYLE Sailor WITH ARC, THE Alameda RENTERS COALITION. We oppose CIP and say no to CIP. Before World War II, my family were farmers in the Texas Hill Country, as were a large proportion of people then. By 1960, farming had reduced no less than temp- had been reduced to no less than 10% of the population. Blackstone, which owns the South Shore Apartments, started out in the 1980s with a $400,000 investment. These days, Blackstone is worth $26 trillion. It's clear Blackstone and other gigantic investing housing monopolies will do away with small landlords within the lifetime of young people now. We see a transition to asset inflating real estate economics and techniques like CIP being imposed upon our people. We can't seem to solve homelessness because these giant monopolies warp and distort the housing markets at will. As long as housing units can sit empty and real estate pr- prices kite to heaven, we'll have no answer to housing costing way more than 30% of income. asset inflating entities like Blackstone are based upon debt financing. Their business model doesn't create value like making a car. So their dominance of our society yields economic stagnation. Really, they benefit from bursting bubbles like 2008. Then they scoop up distressed properties on a continent-wide scale. Another bubble is about to burst, and this conversation is going to be very heated very soon. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Our next speaker. Um we'll go to two remote speakers. Uh, Laura Woodard.
4: All right.
0: Welcome, Speaker Woodard.
1: Hi, thanks.
12: Can you hear me okay?
0: We can hear you just fine. Thanks.
12: Great. Um thank you for recognizing the problems with CIP and enacting a moratorium. Hmm. My request is that you end CIP altogether or continue the moratorium. Um, I have a few points to make and questions. I realize uh, the discussion comes later. After uh, tenants comment on the proposals of the rent program staff, the proposals change. Tenants have new questions and are not prepared to respond to what is at stake in the latest iteration of the rent program presentation. The staff's presentation proposes two options that would both keep CIP in place. This past spring, council members discussed ending CIP altogether, and I wonder why this is no longer a proposed option. And what does it mean to add a CIP section to the fair return application? The details aren't clear at this point. Why would the list of eligible improvements need to expand? The current CIP policy already unfairly allows landlords to bill tenants to meet their legal requirement to provide safe and habitable homes. CIP is another way that makes habitability the tenant's problem. Any proposal that penalizes tenants living on smaller properties lacks logic and is unjust. Small property tenants have certain disadvantages already. When habitability is ignored, as it often is, there's less opportunity to join with neighbors to bring the public's attention to the problem with the way South Shore tenants have been able to do. A note on habitability and why it can be tenant's problem, um, can't be tenant's problem any more than it already is. Code enforcement is limited um, uh, by a need to uh, provide the right kind of evidence, and they need, proof that the Thank you. Your time is
0: up and we'll go to our next remote speaker.
1: Uh, Kimberly Taida. Welcome Speaker Taika.
6: Hello. Um, I request that the council vote to eliminate the capital improvement program. The Oops, sorry. proposed <laughs> sorry
0: ignore that. <laughs> We're starting your clock. Okay, go for it.
6: The proposed CIP plan will make housing more expensive for already cost burdened tenants, undermining the stabilizing impact of Alameda's rent control laws. The proposed revisions would create protections against CIP pass-throughs for some Alameda tenants and not others, requiring tenants who live in buildings with less than 25 units to cover some or all of the cost of the work. How is this fair to tenants residing in smaller size properties? They are not any better able to absorb large increases in their rents than tenants living in larger properties. According to the City's 2021 Report on Housing Affordability and Displacement, the cost of housing has increased much faster than resident incomes in the City of Alameda, which makes housing unaffordable to low- and moderate-income renters. The report also concludes that households with one or two lower-wage workers cannot afford typical market rents or home prices in the City. These conclusions are supported by data from the National Low-Income Housing Coalition. According to their analysis, The cost of renting an average apartment in Alameda is already out of reach for many residents. In order to spend no more than 30% of income on rent, tenants need an annual income of at least $76,000 to afford a typical market-rate one-bedroom apartment. To afford a market-rate two-bedroom apartment, tenants need an income of at least $93,000. Many tenants live in buildings that have not been properly maintained, buildings that have not been painted in 20 years, old pipes that leak, stairs and railings that are falling apart, In some properties, these situations have been present for years, gradually growing worse and more expensive to repair over time. Why should tenants have to pay for upgrades and repairs to things that have sat in a state of disrepair for a decade or more? Landlords should cover their own investments. Thank you.
1: Thank you, our next speaker. Um, We'll go back to uh, five in person. Uh, Roberta Schwartz, Nancy Lewis, Ivan Rudenko, Amy Little, and Tony Grimm.
0: Welcome, Speaker Schwartz, come on up. Greetings. And remember to speak into that microphone and bring it to your level, and then we
13: can hear you. Thank you. There we go. So, I hope you'll have the opportunity to see the film Push, which makes compelling points regarding big investment firms and the exploitation of renters. The film explains how drastically rents have increased while wages remain stagnant. City Clerk has the link to the film. PUSH does not deal directly with the issue of CIP, but it describes how such multi-trillion dollar foreign corporations like Blackstone own enormous swaths of real estate in what is described as unbridled capitalism. They buy huge blocks of property and, like vultures, evict the tenants and upgrade so that they can rent to the wealthy for an inflated price. They wield political power, as most city governments are unaware of what is going on in their cities. Their desire is for more and more money. Regarding capital improvements, landlords label regular required maintenance as capital improvements so that they can put a surcharge on tenants as they are trying to do at Alameda South Shore Apartments. This is a dysfunctional situation, and we trust Alameda City Council to do the right thing and not allow Blackstone to further squeeze the tenants who are already paying inflated prices. Thank you for your attention.
0: Thank you. Our next speaker, Nancy Lewis. Welcome, Speaker Lewis.
14: Good evening, Council. Nurse Nancy here again. South Shore tenants are in favor of Option B, eliminating CIP. We also want to be clear about the option that will affect the um, fair return of the South Shore tenants. Alameda's current fair return policy excludes CIP, but Mr. Chapman has talked about enhancing it to include CIP. Why and how? If the city keeps a revised CIP, there would be no reason to also include CIP in the fair return properties under 25 units would have a tiered system and as stipulated properties over 25 are not eligible for CIP anyway. If CIP is eliminated and the rent program wants to enhance the fair return petition, we don't think they should just include all capital expenses without limitations and without tenant protections. Other cities without CIP policy limit and qualify the kinds of capital improvements to the fair return petitions. For example, Sacramento fair returns allows capital improvements for health and safety reasons to meet building code requirements, which are not routine repair and maintenance also to address substantial deterioration of the rental units, which was not caused by lack of routine repair and maintenance. Please consider this and get tenants' input if there is a plan to add the CIP to the Alameda's fair return petition. We don't want fair return to be just a loophole for the CIP. Then we're just back to where we started. Double-edged sword, there's two ways to skin a cat. Thank you thank you our next speaker
1: ivan rudenko
0: welcome speaker
15: hello Hello. Hello. mayor and honorable council come a little
0: closer to the microphone if you would and you can raise it up for you
15: okay uh my name is ivan rudenko i am a kind of neighbor of mr desol i am a renter and resident at alameda for over 20 years and I actually I, I learned about the issue just recently. I don't have any prepared speech, I haven't done any research. I just uh, like to be involved in my community and I agree completely with all my previous speakers and I just want to add my voice to, on the same side of the issue uh, with them. And I'm also afraid that uh, the CIP might lead to the abuse, especially from the side of corporate uh, property owners. And as I listened to the attorney's presentation, um, the alternative option was uh, that uh, every landlord would individually um, approach the council and justify why uh, he, she needs, or the corporation needs to do improvement. And I think it could be discussed. And um, you can take it from there. And, and I think, like you, you are being elected by residents and citizens of the island. And I think there are more of them than uh, some corporations or. Uh, uh, like property owners thank you very much
0: thank you our next speaker amy little welcome speaker little
16: thank you good evening council members and thank you for taking time to hear our comments my name is amy little i'm a renter in alameda and i ask that you vote to eliminate cip pass-throughs entirely ever since learning about them i have done my best to be considerate and thoughtful trying to look at the cips from different points of view to be compassionate about the complications caused by the covid 19 pandemic and what the eviction moratorium and changing laws mean for landlords and what eviction means or may mean for tenants still i struggle to wrap my head around the cip pass-through policy since it seems deeply unfair for any tenants and their housing security worried about what will become of them if they cannot pay the increased rent this does not feel like a solid plan for alameda If tenants are asked to spend unexpected and additional amounts for CIPs, possibly creating financial hardship, then I would prefer to have transparency to thoroughly understand the landlord's financial situation. I would want the landlords to provide documentation to the city and their tenants that show that they are going through financial hardship due due to the pandemic or other reasons. This would be especially important if they own multiple properties and have that extra layer of security. Still, I don't believe that tenants should endure financial burdens and possible displacement for CIPs, since landlords are the ones with the initial means to acquire property, knowing upfront that they have the responsibility for the building's repairs and upkeep. Even with rent control and other tenant protections, the property owners will be the ones to benefit from the higher appraisals and increased equity from capital improvements or from the eventual sale of the property. Please eliminate CIP pass-throughs. I believe we can do better uh, with fair return or with a limited fair return on property petitions or other initiatives. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker.
1: Tony Grimm. Welcome Speaker Grimm.
17: Most of you on the City Council have heard me speak before as a tenant advocate in opposition to various capital improvement plans over the past few years. I've tried to make the point that CIPs with a pass-through are unfair to tenants because they undermine our rent control law and raise the cap up to 8% for decades, placing a heavy burden on renters and causing displacement. But tonight, I'd like to make a different point, namely that proposed CIPs are also unfair to the other half of our residents in Alameda, that being homeowners who are not landlords. What the CIPs do is give a subsidy to landlords for large expenses in addition to guaranteeing them a profit. Where is the subsidy for homeowners? What about their large repairs and upgrades? I wish the Council would look back four years or more to the beginning of the conversation on capital improvements and ask what were your objectives at that time? Upgraded residential buildings that are safe and habitable, buildings that look nice. Well, Why do you want that for only half of the city? Why not the whole city? I would like to see the city come up with a comprehensive capital improvement plan that covers all residential property, properties that identifies those property owners who actually need help without carving out a special benefit for landlords, without putting an extra burden on our poorest residents. I ask you to reject all of the proposed CIPs tonight, give us a better plan that is fair to everyone in Alameda. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Our next
1: speaker. That was our last speaker.
0: Oh, all right. With that, we will close public comment and I just want to commend all of you. Great job expressing your views and being very respectful to um, the audience. So, thank you. Good work. All right. Um, I want to just ask um, staff if they would clarify a couple of um, maybe misperceptions that I heard. One was that both options that the council is being presented with include the CIP. AND THEN ONE SEEMED TO SUGGEST THAT THE FAIR RETURN POLICY WOULD REQUIRE LANDLORDS COMING INDIVIDUALLY TO THE CITY COUNCIL. SO IF YOU COULD PROVIDE SOME CLARIFICATION. MR. SHEN, YOU WANT TO TAKE THOSE? i I, I'D BE HAPPY
2: TO AND MY COLLEAGUES uh, HOPEFULLY WILL HELP ME. Um, WITH RESPECT TO THE FIRST QUESTION, OPTION B THAT'S PRESENTED TO THE COUNCIL TONIGHT COMPLETELY ELIMINATES THE CIP POLICY. If the council adopts option B, there will be no more CIP policy in the city of Alameda. And then the only process to obtain upward rent adjustments is through a fair return petition, which has existed uh, throughout the history of Alameda Rent Control, and really through all rent control, because it's required by the United States federal uh, constitution. Um, With respect to um, uh, the mayor's second question. no. Uh, CIP applications have never uh, come before the council for individual review, and we are not recommending even an option A, if it remained, uh, that it would come to the council for individual review. The the way CIP or fair return petitions work is that they're um, highly individualized, complicated analysis, both financially and legally. They're being handled by uh, well-trained city hearing officers who takes in the evidence and renders a decision much like what a court would do.
0: Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Okay. Well, Council, we have had a great presentation from staff. We've heard um, lots of um, tenants, I would say, um, in our speakers. We've had lots of um, public speakers, lots of um, correspondence. It's in our packet. And so, I um, am ready to open the discussion. And Councilmember Jensen, I see your hand up. So, uh,
5: let's start with
16: you. Thank
5: you, Madam Mayor. Um, with regard to uh, this, is timely. I wanted to um, follow up on your question, actually. So, there the two options that have been discussed, and I also heard um, comments suggesting that option B would um, somehow encourage or or establish that fair return could be used for CIP recovery, and that's not the case, as you just mentioned.
2: Councilmember Jensen, I want to be clear. Um, The fair return petitions have always been available to landlords and tenants in all controlled jurisdictions, including the city of Alameda, uh, as required by the United States Constitution. So, um, even in today's environment, a landlord has a choice to either submit a fair return petition or a CIP petition. The standards for a fair return petition to be approved is very high. As borne out by the data, there's only been one approved fair return petition. So the CIP process essentially exists to allow landlords to have an easier path to recover their capital improvements. That's all.
5: Um, Perhaps then um, there's some, or you could expand a little bit, perhaps there's a little confusion on option B about, um, because there is an expanded option B, option B would eliminate the CIP, completely eliminate the ordinance, but then there's some additional provision that to say that um, staff would just develop an amortization schedule and listing the amortization period for various types of common capital improvements. So perhaps that's where um, these questions have arisen.
2: I'm, I'm happy to answer that question, uh, and maybe Director Chapin can help me further. Currently we do not have amortization schedules built in to fair return. Um, We would look at most likely the IRS amortization schedule if a fair return petition is filed on capital improvement projects. It doesn't mean that, uh, it it does not mean that capital improvement projects cannot be included in a fair return petition today. Um, We have not done so today because there specifically is a better path for a landlord recovery, namely CIP. If the council eliminated it uh, tonight, um, we would want to make sure that the tools are clear uh, and provide clearer guidance. To be clear, we're not looking to expand fair return tonight. Uh, fair return is fair return, which is required by the United States Constitution. So
5: then would it be fair to say that uh, establishment of an amortization schedule would would make it clearer, provide clarity, and um, in, 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 or add fairness in the case of any um, CIPs that were going to be used for a fair return? Yes. Thank you. Um, and then my final, my last question here is: Is there, um, if you had to, I'll ask you and um, Mr. Chapin as well, if you had to have a third option, which you know uh, there are some that have suggested that neither of these options are um, good options, but I don't see another option if if we either it's either eliminate the ordinance and the CIP or um, don't do that.
2: And, and, AND COUNCIL MEMBER, the, THE THIRD OPTION WOULD BE TO RETAIN THE EXISTING CIP PROVISIONS, WHICH PROVIDES LITTLE TENANT PROTECTIONS AND STAFF DOES NOT RECOMMEND IT. THANK YOU.
0: OKAY. Um, VICE MAYOR Desa? Um
18: WELL, THANK YOU. Uh, LET ME ADDRESS THIS IN TWO WAYS. FIRST IS THAT, um, FIRST OF ALL, THANK YOU VERY MUCH TO OUR CITY STAFF, um, ALL OF YOU GUYS, FOR SUCH AN EXTENSIVE AND DETAILED REPORT. And for the fact that, you know, you had so many community outreach meetings and the way that you engaged um, uh, resident um, um, uh, tenants as well as the small mom and pop landlords. I think, you know, that outreach um, was fabulous. And, and the research as to the different um, cities, what they're doing, um, incredible. Um, I, so I, I just want to take a moment to say thank you very much for all of you guys for, the, for that. Um, I think the fundamental, one of the questions, and having read um, the um, reports in detail, and I did <laughs> provide very detailed notes, um, was basically, you know, why even have a CIP prog- uh, program if um, the fair return um, uh, is available? And it's a question that I um, asked of, of staff, and staff did take the time to pro- provide an answer. and. Um, you know, it's a four-paragraph answer, and I'm going I'm to jump to the third paragraph. Um, the third paragraph is basically, uh, CIP also allows some, oops, uh, CIPs also allow some more control over the amount of the increase for tenants with fair return. Um, there is no limit to the amount of the rent increase, dash, IF THE LANDLORD CAN DEMONSTRATE A NEED FOR A 20% INCREASE IN ORDER TO MAINTAIN NET OPERATING INCOME, THEN THE LANDLORD IS ENTITLED TO THAT UPWARD ADJUSTMENT. AND THAT AMOUNT IS WHAT ALL FUTURE AGA INCREASES WOULD BE BASED ON IN THIS 20% SCENARIO. OPTION A, ON THE OTHER HAND, um, INCLUDES CAPS ON THE AMOUNTS OF pass THROUGHS AS WELL AS FINANCIAL HARDSHIP EXEMPTIONS. SO, I, I SEE, YOU KNOW, A LOT OF THE RESIDENTS SAYING, YOU KNOW, um, NO CIPs ELIMINATED, YOU KNOW, JUST BASICALLY RELY ON THE FAIR RETURN p- PROGRAM, um, and, AND WE'VE GOT A LOT OF EMAILS ABOUT THAT. I'M REALLY WORRIED, THOUGH, <laughs> THAT THAT WILL ACTUALLY COULD POTENTIALLY PUT YOU um, AT GRAVER RISK THAN THE PROGRAM THAT WE HAVE NOW. Um, so, that, so uh, you know, it's, it, it, it is a concern that has to be raised. Um, so, I think that's the first thing is just kind of addressing one of the issues um, that, were, that, that I asked staff about in reading the detailed report. So, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, how I feel, I, I think, you know, we were all brought here tonight because of the dire predicament THAT SOUTH SHORE RESIDENTS um, WERE IN. Um, AND I DO BELIEVE THAT um, OUR CITY HALL STAFF IN THE PLAN THAT THEY HAVE PREPARED uh, FOR US TONIGHT, IN MY OPINION, I DO BELIEVE THAT THEY HAVE HIT IT OUT OF THE BALLPARK IN TRYING TO um, IMPLEMENT PROTECTIONS uh, FOR RENTERS um, from the situation that um, South Shore apartment uh, residents face. and I think, for sure, the South we've hit it out of the ballpark for the South Shore apartment renters. Um, for renters generally, um, I think the city staff, hall staff has also um, introduced a wide range of protections, um, especially protections in the form of two pass-throughs um, caps, two pass-through caps, and also protections in the form of uh, lower income um, hardship eligibility that would shield lower income residents from pass-throughs. So I take a look at the protections that are in option A, and I, and I say, you know, it, I, I think, When I when I compare those protections against having no CIPs and what that would potentially put people at risk of the scenarios, I I think I, I I believe that option A, you know, as as a council member, I believe that option A is the wiser course. Down the line, in the near term, if we want to modify Option A, um, you know, I I think we can certainly do that. But I think on balance, though, that it is the wiser course um, for protecting residents from CIPs. I think eliminating CIPs completely and then moving towards the fair return um, um, mechanism, I THINK THAT'S GOING TO EXPOSE A LOT OF PEOPLE TO THESE CONSEQUENCES THAT, 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 that FOLKS JUST HAD NOT CONTEMPLATED. THANK YOU.
0: THANK YOU, COUNCIL MEMBER DAYSIDE. I, I THINK THERE MAY BE um, SOME NEED FOR SOME CLARIFICATION BECAUSE uh, um, I'm, I'M NOT SURE THAT THAT'S um, PRECISELY WHAT THE POLICIES WERE CONSIDERING would do. So, Mr. Roush or Mr. Shen, would one of you like to just address some of the points raised by Councilmember Member Desog and help us understand? I mean, are we really talking about no limit to future rent increases ever under any circumstances? Help us understand where, what this is about.
19: Madam Mayor, members of Council, Michael Roush, Special Counsel. Um, the concern with just having a fair return process is that if the landlord can demonstrate that a rent increase is warranted under the fair return process, that rent increase becomes part of the, the base rent that then um, going forward, um, any kind of uh, annual general adjustment or any banking would be based on. Uh, compare that situation to a pass-through, which as Council Member or Vice Mayor Desog indicated, uh, both has a cap as to the percentage, as to the pass-through as well as the 8% cap, that pass-through amount is outside of the base rent, as it were, so it's not baked into the, the base rent, it stands alone separately. Um, and so therefore they're, you know, again, depending on what the numbers are and, uh, and how it plays out, it could be at more advantageous for a particular tenant to have a pass-through versus having uh, a rent increase under a fair return process.
0: And Mr. Shen?
2: Uh, and to, to, to follow up on Mr. Rausch's point, um, one, uh, one additional point to raise is that the fair return petition is a tough petition to, uh, uh, to, to mount. And so, uh, while there are no limits, it is our, our data shows is that it's, it has not been one where there is a lot of success. And even from other jurisdictions, um, we see that there's not a lot of success. Um, and so, that is one of many factors for the council to consider, regardless of which option you choose, fair return will always be available to a landlord, um, because we have to retain that uh, as required by the United States Constitution.
0: And, and- can you amplify on why it's so tough for landlords to achieve a, a fair return, to establish whatever the, the um, threshold is for a fair return petition?
2: Sure. Essentially what happens is that we establish a base year for a fair return petitions, which typically is the start of rent control. And then a landlord needs to show that in a future year they cannot make the same rate of return. Um, however, rental units turn over all the time, and when they turn over, generally landlords reset them to market, which is a, an extraordinary rent increase. And so in those circumstances, generally a landlord has um, will be able to recover all of the added costs because of the resets. Um, the kinds of instances where we see fair return petitions successful will be long controlled units where units never turn over. And, and it's especially more so in jurisdictions with a long history of control, such as the original five or six controlled jurisdictions where we're now seeing 30-plus years of control. Um, Alameda's in a slightly different boat. <laughs> uh, in many ways, our, our control was imposed in 2019. Um, AND um, uh, uh, you know, and WE ARE SEEING, ESPECIALLY IN LARGER UNITS, THAT THERE IS TURNOVER, SO WE THINK it, you know, it, IT'S NOT AN EASY APPLICATION TO FILE.
0: THANK YOU FOR THAT CLARIFICATION. Um, COUNCIL MEMBER Villa, YOUR HANDS UP, YEAH.
20: BUT WHEN YOU SAY THAT THERE'S TURNOVER, IF THE TENANT VOLUNTARILY LEAVES, THEN WHAT HAPPENS?
2: Whenever there is turnover, uh, the landlord, under state law, a landlord has the right to reset the rent to, essentially, market or whatever the market will bear. So we see extraordinary. Typically, we see extraordinary rent increases when there is turnover.
20: The other question that I had is, what is the number of owner movements and Ellis Act that we've seen? Do we have those numbers? Uh, just kind of so, while he's well, um, he's looking that up. Uh, one of my questions is kind of what are we seeing in terms of trends, especially uh, in, in more recent years, relative to that. So, I understand that our ordinance is from 2018. Um, But but we've also had a pandemic. There were uh, moratoriums in place um, since the moratoriums have been lifted. Just curious.
2: Right, and council member, while while the director is looking it up, um, I I will share that our our ordinance has um, been paused on owner move-ins because of the pandemic, um, and that was only very recently lifted. So there's only been, I think, a less than a year's worth of data uh, on that point, but we'll get that to you.
20: I JUST ASK THAT BECAUSE I THINK IT'S VERY DIFFICULT TO LOOK AT DIFFERENT PORTIONS OF THIS IN SILOS AS OPPOSED TO THINKING ABOUT WHAT THE the BROADER KIND OF WHAT WE'RE SEEING ACROSS THE CITY OVERALL RELATIVE TO, um, YOU KNOW, PEOPLE MOVING AND THEN SEEING INCREASES um, HAPPENING. THAT'S A TREND THAT I THINK, YOU KNOW, WHEN WE TALK ABOUT THE NUMBER OF AFFORDABLE UNITS, um, WHEN WE'RE SEEING THAT HAPPEN, THAT IS KIND OF A workaround THAT HAPPENS WHERE WE CAN'T, WE we CAN'T DO ANYTHING BECAUSE THAT'S uh, DICTATED BY STATE LAW. Um, AND YOU KNOW, I THINK THAT WE ARE LOSING THOSE UNITS AS BEING AFFORDABLE WHEN THAT HAPPENS. Um, AND IF THAT'S A workaround TO STRINGENT CIP REGULATIONS OR OTHERWISE, I I DON'T WANT TO HYPOTHESIZE, BUT IT IS SOMETHING THAT IS A TREND THAT I THINK IS WORTH LOOKING AT. Um, The other question that I had is, in in clarification maybe, is I think if we can pull up the the one slide that shows the comparison of the two um, policies. Um, In terms of uh, buildings that have 25 or more units, um, in option A, the proposal is essentially that there is no CIP pass-through. Which I think, you know, I think there's, I've heard from people with concerns about what will happen with South Shore, what will happen with some of these larger units. And under either proposal, uh, those buildings, is my understanding, would not be eligible.
2: That's correct, Councilmember. Any property with 25 or more units under either scenario will be precluded from submitting a CIP application. Um, I, I believe this the city clerk is uh, pulling up the PowerPoint or or, or, or mr. Alb <laughs> oh, no,
20: and and so my next question is why 25 or more why why is that the cutoff that we've looked at
2: we've um, I'm sorry
20: that the, the com- it's it's a different um, comparison I'm asking for the comparison of option a versus option B yeah. sorry there we go Um. It's it's the one with the background, the existing CIP. Oh, this is uh, um. I think the existing CIP versus the proposed on background. Was that part of the presentation? Yeah, I think it was. Think it's, it's a separate. It's in the exhibits.
1: Oh, it's. I mean,
20: it's a table. That's in black and white. So, if I could just ask, there's breakdown, 2 to 4 units, 100% cost recovery, 5 to 15 units, um, 100% for certain things, 75% for all others, 16 to 24 units um, is another tier, and then 25 units plus. It's exhibit one, I believe. Yeah, I've got it.
1: I just have to move it over so he can access it. (laughs) Got
20: it. And so, just asking staff if you could explain the reason for those different um, categories.
3: Yeah. So, uh, in uh, determining uh, these tiers, uh, we um, <clears throat> uh, there w- <laughs> there was a bit of tweaking uh, over the course of uh, arriving at our uh, uh, proposed option A uh, f- for you, but we did start with. Uh, Again, looking closely at Mountain View's policy, which has similar tiers, although the breakdowns are not exactly the same. Uh, In some of our uh, stakeholder sessions with landlords, uh, they identified um, some differences in the way that uh, the properties are managed based on the number of units. Uh, The first thing is that for fewer than five units, uh, buyers are often able... Uh, er, well, for five or more units, buyers are often required to get commercial loans. Uh, and so that kind of changes the, uh, the, the financials of a four, purchasing a four unit building versus purchasing a, a five or, or larger unit building. Um, and then um, this break between 15 and 16 units, uh, we base that on the idea that uh, state law requires an on-site property manager for buildings with 16 or more properties. Uh, so once again, kind of changing a little bit of the way that you do business uh, uh, based on based on the number of units. Um, and then the uh, 25 or more not being eligible, that uh, harkens back a bit to uh, the... Uh, a meeting where the moratorium was adopted, um, and we uh, we we ran several numbers uh, just looking at uh, you know if there was going to be a moratorium starting at a certain number uh, of units, uh, what would it look like based on the registration data that we have from the city's rent registry? How many properties would be uh, affected by a moratorium starting at various levels? Uh, how many units would be affected. Um, What we found was that looking at 25 or more units, uh, there were a limited number of properties that were affected. I believe it's 66 uh, properties. Uh, But those 66 properties accounted for 35% Of the rental units in the city Uh, and when we furthermore looked at data such as uh, how the rents in those properties compared to fair market rents uh, we saw that they were more likely to have uh, average rents that were in excess of those fair market rents as opposed to the smaller units uh, or the smaller properties where uh, those uh, average rents were much more in line with uh, the fair market rents. So our, again, our thinking behind that was that uh, that, that all showed that um, 25 or more units uh, would be able to um, better absorb those, uh, those capital improvement costs. As we then came forward to this proposal here tonight, we, uh, we basically took the moratorium uh, THE EXISTING MORATORIUM AS A, as a STARTING POINT, uh, and, AND STUCK WITH THAT. Um.
20: AND THEN FOR the, um, THE SMALLER NUMBER OF UNITS, uh, OR I SHOULDN'T SAY SMALLER NUMBER OF UNITS, BUT uh, UNDER 25 UNITS, DO WE HAVE A BREAKDOWN FOR THE 16 TO 24 UNITS, HOW MANY uh, PERCENTAGE OF OUR uh, STOCK IS REPRESENTED BY THAT NUMBER?
3: Um we might be able to, we might be able to pull that up, but it may take us, uh, it may take us a few minutes. So
20: what was the question again? So I understand that the, the financing changes essentially once you get over a certain number of units. Um, and and I, I, I follow that. Um, my question is really getting to how many uh, units are we accounting for in the 2 to four range versus in those two middle ranges? Um, so he said 66 properties for, for 35% of, of our uh, rental stock is accounted for in the 25 plus. And my question is for the 5 to 24 units, essentially how many uh, are represented by those numbers. I, what I'm getting at is I think I, I'm all for, you know, I think we've done things the Alameda way. We do things the Alameda way on a, on a number of different things. I think one kind of question in my mind is. ARE WE THEN CREATING A MORE COMPLEX SYSTEM WHERE WE'RE SAYING, OKAY, YOU CAN GET 75% BACK OR 50% BACK RELATIVE TO SOME OF THESE THINGS FOR THIS KIND OF MIDDLE RANGE? Um, IS THERE SOME WAY TO SIMPLIFY? Um, just so that we don't have an overly, com- we don't create an overly complex process. And I appreciate the, the the logic and the the reasoning and understanding that. I think that's important to have those conversations publicly about. This is why we made the decision to to kind of put these um, tiers in. But I, I also want to understand how many units and what the percentage is for those. Oh,
11: all right. Uh, let's see. So. For, uh, this was in a presentation we did a few months ago, for 16 to 24 units, those are 6% of the overall units, rental units in Alameda. Uh, 16 to 24. 16 to 24, so that's 6% of the rental units, but only 1% of properties, rental properties in Alameda. Uh, 5 to 15 unit properties would be 20% of the total properties and 25% of the total units two to four unit properties, that's 76% of the total rental properties and 35% of the rental units. Uh, 25 or more units, which would be excluded in the CIP proposal. That is less than 3% of the total rental properties, but 34% of overall rental units.
20: Thank you. Mm-hmm.
9: Um,
20: you know. I,
0: I, yeah, is there a way we could actually get that slide project that yeah
20: okay. <laughs> that would be helpful my, my speed typing I, I just think it's important to I, the reason I, I am curious about what the breakdown is is in terms of the number I'm really looking at how many people are being impacted or potentially impacted by these different tiers and I think that's important information if we're we're making a decision relative to, to creating a tiered system is to understand what the actual impacts are going to be um, that, that one tier with one percent of the properties and six percent of the units it makes me think why have a separate tier for them um, you know and I and again I appreciate the work and the the kind of trying to figure out um, different options and figuring out the financing but also trying to, to be responsive um, the other question that I, I had is um, just I know that when the council has discussed the CIP in the past, a lot of the conversation also around wanting to have uh, CIP was around health and safety and making sure that we were, um, I think some of the reasoning was, well, we want our buildings to be uh, as safe as as possible. Um, That was something that I think had had come up in in previous conversations around the CIP. So I appreciate the the comment about uh, lead abatement. Uh, and, and specifically putting that in. I think some of what we heard previously around uh, concerns relative to uh, improvements like just painting, things like that, uh, you, know, we want people um, to use licensed professionals and to abate things properly and dispose of things properly. And um, we have seen a, we do have a large stock of pre-1978 buildings. Uh, we saw a number of complaints coming in to the county lead abatement JPA this summer uh, with remediation issues um, that create health hazards. So, um, I do think that if we're we're looking at that, that is worth. Um, if we're looking at uh, that option, it's worth um, adding that in.
0: I'd like to make some comments
5: now. Did you want to something Okay, go ahead. Real quick, thank you, Madam Mayor. Um, what? With regard to the um, the difference in the the number of units, um, I read in the report that only four CIP applications have been approved since 2016, and three of those were from landlords who sought to terminate tenancies because the improvements could not be completed, but were not seeking a CIP pass-through. So, that suggested only one CIP pass-through has been approved since 2016. To the report, yes, that's
3: correct. And
5: um, what was the size of that?
3: Um, That is a a four unit property, Um, however, um, uh, only three of the units are tenant occupied, and only two of the units. Uh, it, it, one, one of the units had a, a newer tenancy in it that came after the, uh, the capital improvements were made, I believe. Uh, so that pass-through was only imposed on two of the four units.
5: And do you recall uh, the three that sought to terminate the tenancies, were those also small units?
3: Yes, uh, that is correct. Um, I believe, <clears throat> um, if you give me just a moment, I can... Uh, verify that. What, what uh,
5: was that question again? Well, there was there have been four CIP applications approved since 2016 since THE program BEEN in submitted place. submitted
0: and That's one good. approved. Is that correct?
5: There have been four applications and three of those did not include a CIP pass through, um, but they sought to terminate tenancies in order to complete the improvements. And what my question was was related to um, Councilman Ravella's, um discussion was what was the size of those? Um, right there in the slide,
3: I think. And uh, I'm sorry, uh, I, I can't give you uh, exact, but I, I believe that um, of, you know, all, of, of these 14 applications up here, one of those is South Shore with 452 units. The other 13, I am fairly confident that all of those had less than 10 units. Uh, including the ones that were denied withdrawn, or suspended, and the uh, the of the relocation uh, uh, ones. Oftentimes, that was only a single tenant uh, whose whose uh, uh, whose tenancy was terminated. So yeah,
5: my, my my question was about the first line, since we had gotten down. Option A does di- dis- distinct, but has draws distinctions between the number of units. So my question was with regard to the one to twenty-four units and the relocation and the pass-through, and you've already said that the they were, the four unit was the, um, you believe it was a four unit complex that was passed through for CIP, and the other ones you think were less than
3: ten units. That's that's correct. Thank you.
5: Okay.
0: So. I spend a lot of my time as mayor um, working on housing issues, as do others on this council as well. Um, In fact, council and I serve on some statewide um, policy bodies. And there is something that I'm sure some in the room are familiar with, and it's called the three P's, which are considered the best solutions to addressing affordable housing and homelessness prevention. And the three P's are protection, to protect tenants, and also to preserve existing affordable housing and also to produce new affordable housing. So when I look at this situation and what's being asked of us to decide between option A and option B is that we do need to protect our tenants. These are very unusual times. of course, we need to protect our housing stock, and we do. As has been noted by my colleagues um, and and speakers as well, we need to see that housing stock is um, is maintained in habitable condition, and that health and state safety um, um, renovations are are done. But again, I am hard pressed to understand why that burden is borne by the tenants and. Stop and consider that if you own rental property, and there's a reason it's called income property, but you have property, you have something of value that you can borrow against. You can take out an equity line of credit if you need to do repairs and or modifications or renovations, and that those renovations, the value of what you've added to your property, Will increase the value of your property, and in California, in the Bay Area, in Alameda, our property values are rising. For those of us who are fortunate enough to be property owners, we've um, got a property tax bill that's due about now, and you know you've seen the the difference from last year to to this year. And so, there I do want landlords to do those kinds of things, but when you set out to be a landlord, whether you're a small landlord with just a few units or a big landlord, you you have to know what the math is, what they what you need to set aside, what the costs are gonna be of all the things that those of us who own property, although not income property, know you've got insurance and taxes and sometimes the roof needs to be repaired or you need a new foundation or the kitchen needs to be upgraded or what have you. But um, this is something that the, the owner of the property has different means of achieving that that doesn't need to be added to the burden of the tenants. And also, there are some things that were were noted in the staff report, for example, um, adding water savings devices. That's a good thing. I also know that there are grant opportunities. There are rebates available from East Bay Mud and other agencies. Um, IF YOU FOLLOW ALONG WITH THAT, CONVERSION FROM GAS TO ELECTRIC, THAT'S SOMETHING THE CITY IS WORKING ON. WE CERTAINLY HAVE ORDINANCES THAT FOR ALL NEW BUILDING, WE'RE GOING TO ALL ELECTRIC um, RESIDENCES AND EVEN COMMERCIAL IN MOST INSTANCES, AND THAT'S GREAT TO DO IT NEW. IT'S ALWAYS HARDER TO CONVERT an, AN EXISTING BUILDING But, again, why is that borne by the renter? And, again, there are also um, grant opportunities, and it's something that our city, as part of our climate action resiliency plan, has been looking at, the cost of building electrification and and making it equitable. And, again, this applies to homeowners, too, because just because you're a homeowner doesn't mean you're wealthy. You're keeping up with with all those expenses. So so valid um, considerations, but, again, we We live in a time where our teachers, including our preschool teachers, our child care workers, nurses, are not able to live in the city, and that that impacts the school district. It impacts all of us. So we want to be fair, but I think that this opportunity to have another funding source so rather than look to what you already own and borrow against that property um, I think that's something that that we you know as a council should should be aware of so um, the other thing is I always want to enact ordinances and find solutions that are straightforward common sense solutions some of the you um, the these different um, the, the table is still up before us on on um, measure uh, sorry measure eight, option a. um it you know different percentage recovery depending on where you live but again why is that fair why are some tenants just by the luck of the draw this is where they found a place to live why are they saddled with a higher percentage of the landlord's cost than others and so I, um, I am concerned with being able to keep residents of all different income levels in Alameda, and we hear often from our renters that this is a struggle, that they um, are leaving, and I don't want to continue to see that happen. So I think we can accomplish what needs to be accomplished in a common sense manner. Um, by adopting option B. That certainly is my position. Um, uh, Madam Clerk, as long as we have the screen up, I'm not able to see our other um, council colleague. I have a feeling she might have her hand up. So apologies. Council member Harris- Spencer, there you are. Okay. Council member Harris Spencer, the floor is yours. Thank you, Mayor. And I
4: was happy to hear from all of uh, the other council members and yourself, in regards to uh, what, what you're thinking. But I wanted to swing back to Council Member Bella. Um, I wasn't sure when you were speaking about the necessity of these tiers if you were suggesting that a tier be moved or eliminated and what to do with that, if, if it's possible through the mayor to um, yes. get yes. Uh, get further sure. explanation on that issue. Thanks. Through the
20: chair, Council Member Bella. Um, yeah. I. I I have a concern. I mean, I understand the financing issue for the for the um, five plus units, but that tier of sixteen to twenty four didn't really make sense to me. And even looking at the um, the five to fifteen units, uh, didn't didn't really make sense to me. It just seemed like we were kind of overly complicating. And I understand what we were trying to do, but it seems like. IF THAT'S THE DIRECTION THAT THE COUNCIL IS GOING TO GO, MY PREFERENCE WOULD BE THAT WE DON'T HAVE FOUR DIFFERENT TIERS, BUT THAT WE HAVE THE FOUR UNITS OR LESS, AND THEN WE HAVE uh, NO, YOU KNOW, NO CIP PASS THROUGH FOR for beyond um, for, BEYOND FOUR UNITS. AND, YOU KNOW, WHEN WE LOOK AT IT, Part of the reason for that is there's you're talking about a, a very small. I I just think that the number of units when we look at the number of units impacted in terms of the rental units it makes sense, um, and I also think that there's different fi- the financing structures. If that's the if that's the argument that we're we're kind of ha- hanging the hat on, it would be make sense to segregate it based off of the financing structures.
0: Uh, member Harris- Spencer back to you.
4: Thank you. Uh, thank you. Uh, Council member uh, Bella for that explanation. Um, so I am concerned about the equity firms coming in. Uh, I actually think that um, we may be driving that. Um, I think that, uh, and I I am, as far as I know, the only renter on the council. I have concerns about telling businesses or landlords how to run their business. Uh, But I actually think that uh, we are at a point where we're going to either, we're going to make a choice, are we going to try to support what we historically refer to as mom and pops and give them the opportunity to do some pass-through, whatever percentage that is. Or they're not going to be able to do the repairs or and this is another issue um, we know that what we've been doing currently this Alameda CIP isn't really working uh, we know that there are units that need repairs uh, but I I'd like to figure out a balance that um, actually uh, doesn't doesn't continue to support uh, the equity firms coming in I am supportive of uh, because I had asked the question earlier in regards to the CIP uh, for the larger uh, units, such as South Shore, if the staff feels comfortable uh, moving forward and not giving that and separating the larger units. I'm not sure where the demarcation is, should be for the smaller units, and staff has spent a lot of time on this. So, I'm actually not averse to um, just, uh, moving forward with staff's recommendation in regards to option A uh i'm not sure you know exactly where other council members are but i think that we actually have what i still refer to as mom and pops that own an apartment building that could have five or six units or something beyond the four Um, and my preference would be to keep uh keep them owning the property as opposed to an equity firm And I honestly think that at the end of the day, they're more likely to keep the rents lower and be more personal with all of it than an equity firm is. Um, So um, I'm I'm happy to make a motion to uh, move forward with option A uh, and and as well as the uh, fund, the other two parts of staff's recommendation.
0: And I, I would just like to comment on what you, um, some of what you just said, Councilmember Harry Spencer. Another way to look at um, opening the door to equity firms coming in is that if we approve a structure that makes rents out of reach for um, struggling tenants, there will be vacancies, and that will either, you know, open it up to. A form of gentrification, so the folks, and we know we have um, folks of all different income levels in Alameda. So folks who can afford um, higher rents will will move into those places, or um, buildings may be vacated, and equity firms may be interested in scooping them up. Although I'm not sure how interested they are in some of the smaller units, but that's that's another perspective. Yes, back to you. Uh, well, Councilmember Harris Spencer has her hand up, and then I'll go to you, Vice Mayor Desai.
4: Okay, so I I appreciate that, Mayor. Um, my concern, honestly is that what I see is that it's actually the, uh, the equity firms that are pushing the envelope in regards to rents, um, not not the smaller mom and pops. And I actually don't think the mom and pops want to have vacant units uh, that they're trying to work within the rent control apparatus that the city has. Uh, VICE MAYOR
18: DAYSAK. WELL, THANK YOU. Um, YOU KNOW, I'M GOING TO SECOND THE MOTION LARGELY BECAUSE, LIKE I SAID, I DO BELIEVE THAT WHAT OUR CITY HALL STAFF HAS PRESENTED PROVIDES US um, PROTECTIONS AGAINST um, THE uh, COMMUNITY, THE the PASS THROUGH uh, uh, CHALLENGES. AND TO ME, THE MOST IMPORTANT PROTECTION IS THE HARDSHIP EXEMPTION FOR LOWER INCOME RENTERS. Um, AND I'M CONCERNED, THOUGH, THAT IF WE DON'T ADOPT um, OPTION A, THAT WE'RE GOING TO FIND us, OURSELVES RIGHT BACK IN THE SITUATION, AND IT'S GOING TO BE THE SOUTH SHORE TENANTS COMING BACK TO US ALL OVER AGAIN. Um, I hear staff's point that, you know, doing the um, fair return process can be onerous. Um, but, you know, and, and I hear staff's point of view that the fair return process is always there regardless. so I get that. Um, but to me, if we at least have the mechanism that option A affords, then that is at least one, um, roadblock, if you will, <laughs> that they should go through before also um, falling back on the fair return. So my concern is if we don't put up that, <clears throat> for lack of a better word, roadblock, then it's the fair return. And, you know, who South Shore um, apartment residents would be up against in the fair return discussion is we all, sit, we all know, you know, who that is. Um, someone said they're a trillion-dollar um, entity. SO I'M NOT WILLING, I'M GOING TO SECOND THIS BECAUSE I DON'T WANT TO ROLL THE DICE. I THINK THAT THE OPTION A DOES PROVIDE US PROTECTION. AND IF WE DON'T DO IT, WE'RE BACK TO THE SITUATION. WE'RE GOING TO HAVE THE SOUTH SHORE APARTMENT RESIDENTS BACK HERE. THANK YOU.
0: SO I um, AM NOT ABLE TO SUPPORT THE PROPOSED OPTION A. IF SOMEONE WERE TO, SAY, PROVIDE um, SOME MODIFICATION, IF you know, this there was reference, um, Councilmember Vella, to that cutoff, and I know it's in the um, the staff report, um, but I've got the bulky iPad that keeps freezing on me. Um, but if you know, because again, I do think that someone who's able to take out a commercial loan should take out a commercial loan. If the cutoff is lower, maybe there's something we could fashion. May I have a little discussion about that, if you're willing, Councilmember Vella?
20: Yeah, I I think you know, there's this term, mom and pop landlords and things like that. I I, I do think that it's very different when you are buying, uh, you know, a a multi-unit building with a commercial loan. There's different financing involved relative to that. Um, I don't know that there's, you know, I I do think it's about profit margin at that point. So, again, if, if the council's moving forward with option A, my ask would be, Um, And what we heard was that the applications were really from uh, landlords with four or or fewer units. Um, And and if the desire is to kind of get around property speculation with regards to these units that are, or these properties that are bigger, my ask would be that we, we streamline the tiers and we make the cutoff at four units or less rather than. Um, having those two middle tiers which again amounts to less than twenty one percent of the total properties involved uh, and um, and yeah so that's my request but it would be for that amendment
0: and if I could ask for staff clarification somewhere in here it I read that it is, so, my I'll start with my concern. We have small landlords, if you will, who own this building with four or less units. But in another area of Alameda, they own another building, and maybe they own it in the name of a child or a trust or whatever. How do we? How do we? Um, if we if we are looking to protect people with you know fewer units who have maybe less access to the uh, financial ability to um, to borrow against their property or have to take a commercial loan that might have a higher interest rate how would we how do we determine that,
3: answer that. Um, I, I'll take a crack. yeah <laughs> Madam Mayor, I believe that you're referring to in the uh, staff report, we listed some of the suggestions uh, that we received uh, from our stakeholder outreach sessions. Uh, Something that we did hear from tenants on a few occasions was an idea of uh, is it, uh, you know, if you have a, a landlord who owns multiple smaller units such that the total units the landlord owns adds up to more than 25. Uh, would you uh...
0: you're correct, mr. Chapin. I just found it on page 11 of 15 of the staff report. and the reasoning for rejecting it this is what I was going to say was it data limitations and the use of corporate holdings would make it difficult to accurately determine the total number of units owned across alameda much less in other jurisdictions i personally don't care what you own in other jurisdictions but um that's that's what i was referring to wasn't it
3: yeah uh, yes okay um and uh we know from uh operating the rent registry um that sometimes a uh you know because of the the, the use of for example llcs uh sometimes there is a a, a single uh owner that has multiple properties. And each property is in its own LLC. Uh, and it is, uh, it is difficult to, uh, to suss that out.
0: But to my concern, and maybe it's a moot point, when it comes to requiring a commercial loan, is that based on the property as opposed to the congregate holdings?
3: That that is my understanding is that it's uh, by each property. So if you're trying to invest in a uh, a five-unit property, uh, you generally have to get a commercial loan, regardless of how many other properties you own.
0: Yeah. Um, okay. Well, I mm. <laughs> I mean, someone who owns 25 units in Alameda, I mean, that's that's a concern. Councilmember Jensen, did I see your hand going up?
5: Um, yes, I, okay. I'm following pretty this good and peripheral I'm vision, don't you think? Of, um, <laughs> you said yes, right? but I but I had asked some questions earlier, and so I think what what I've gotten from this data and from the discussion from um, Councilmember Revelle and, and Councilmember Harris Spencer's question also, um, that the these tiers are are they were put into place. There's good data to support it. The manager having a manager on the side, ET etc., um, for the d- distinction between 14 and 15 units, and but um, it's. JUST LOOKING AT THE DATA PRIOR TO THE REQUEST FOR SOUTH SHORE CIP AS I BROUGHT UP EARLIER AND YOU CONFIRMED, MR. CHAPIN, STAFF APPROVED FOUR CIP APPLICATIONS ALL FOR A COMPLEX OF LESS THAN 15 UNITS. SO GIVEN THAT DATA, IT APPEARS THAT IN ALAMEDA AT LEAST, THE CIP IS A TOOL FOR EITHER RELATIVELY SMALL OR VERY LARGE APARTMENT um, OWNERS um, I, OR IT HAS I, BEEN HISTORICALLY.
3: Yeah, uh, generally, I- I, I would say that that is what the history of the applications that we've received has been. Uh, I would caution in that we have not received that many applications. Right, and um, it's not a
5: it's not a tool that's being overly used by property owners, given the number of apartments and complexes that we have. Correct. So um, I just want to I, I support the discussion that's gone on the option A with regard to option A and the the amendments to it. And I would also add another amendment which I'd like to um, submit is that we would. ELIMINATE THE OPPORTUNITY FOR A CIP TO BE USED to, um, TO DISPLACE TENANTS, TO DISPLACE AS WAS DONE WITH THREE OF THE FOUR CIPs.
0: GO AHEAD, um, MR. SHEN.
2: COUNCIL MEMBER, um, and MY COLLEAGUES CAN CORRECT ME. I BELIEVE THAT THE STAFF'S PROPOSAL DOES ELIMINATE PERMANENT DISPLACEMENT. Uh,
3: Yes, uh, correct. So, and and I can I can drill down a little bit more into this. Uh, the the three uh, approved applications uh, that were uh, seeking only uh, relocation. Um, two of those uh, were for landlords who. Um, well, uh, <clears throat> the the current CIP policy uh, <clears throat> allows landlords to uh, submit documentation showing that they expect the work is going to take longer than six months. If uh, they can submit that documentation, it's backed up uh, by uh, the landlord's contractor uh, and their timelines. Uh, In that case, the landlord is able to permanently terminate uh, the tenancy. Uh, the tenant receives a permanent relocation payment, uh, but then uh, they do uh, they do move and and find other housing. Um, so of those three um, that were approved, two of those uh, that was the case. Um, the, the third one was a, uh, a temporary relocation where uh, the landlord expected the tenant to move back into the unit once the work was complete. Uh, what we have proposed under option A is that those first two, the permanent relocation, would no longer be allowed uh, under option A, whereas uh, that third one where it was a temporary relocation, uh, the landlord uh, helped to uh, provide some uh, moving expenses uh, and provided um, uh, some some temporary relocation uh, payments. Uh, That type of relocation would still uh, be able to be uh, allowed so that um, improvements that just simply can't be done uh, while the tenant remains in the unit. Uh, if you're replacing all the plumbing, uh, for example, uh, those would still be able to go forward. Uh, but there would be some uh, uh, payments uh, to the tenant to, uh, to make sure uh, that they were able to find housing and remain uh, securely housed until they're able to move back into their unit.
0: Thank you. So one thing that just made me think of when you asked the question about the number of, of um, CIP applications that have been made, let alone approved, if there are so few, why are we then, you know, creating this policy? And why isn't the fair return policy enough? It exists, it is always the right. And who who are we considering we heard um, a number of speakers tonight and all of them explained what personal hardship it would mean to them as renters we heard from no landlord saying this wouldn't work for them and I mean of I would expect landlords to say, "Well, yes, I would. I would like this other means of financing my repairs because, I mean, I could be investing that money um, in investments instead of using it for my building." But that, um, my concern is, I mean, we could say we won't allow a landlord to permanently displace a tenant. They have to be allowed to move back in, but. What if that CIP is enough to push someone out? That um, the landlord, because they have this mechanism of the tenant financing the repairs to their building, because um, they can, they will, because um, then they don't have to borrow against the property or what have you. But is that the right decision? And I. Um, just knowing that we live in a state we live in a region the bay area that has a housing crisis where i believe what people tell me i get emails or run into people all the time um, nurses in you know other cities telling me that um that uh, oh love alameda i wish i could live there i just can't even on a nurse's salary i couldn't find any place i could afford to rent, so I I'm not sure what the problem is we're trying to solve, but I've certainly heard, and I believe the speakers about the problem we may be creating, and that's um, that's what I I can't forget that we I'm proud that Alameda was the first. City in Northern California to have its housing elements um, certified. That means we're doing our part to the P of producing more affordable housing, but there is still the protection of tenants. And again, so little used um, came to our attention because it was used by big landlords. But I think the medium-sized ones would say, "Hey, this is this is pretty cool. I don't have to borrow." I mean. I'm a homeowner. We've put a lot of work into our home in the 32 years we've lived in it. And we've always, you know, borrowed against the house. And the house keeps appreciating. Anyway, those are are why I ‑‑ I can respond. Of course you you can respond. But let me just finish my sentence, if you don't mind. Um, We'll be as courteous to each other as the speakers were to each other. Um, That it's the reason that unless there's a really carved, Closely, carefully carved out exception. I will not be able to, in good conscience, support this. Back to you, Councilmember Jensen, and then Councilmember Harris Spencer. I see your hand up.
5: Thank okay. you, Madam Mayor. And I, I agree with everything you said. I think that we um, really do need to have. It, it, ideally, we will have uh, more. Um, we'll have more low and moderate income housing as our, all the new projects are are done. But what we're also going to have is a lot more market rate housing, and, and those market rate units aren't coming under rent control. They're going to be available to. To have any landlord who owns them just say, Well, I wanna do capital improvements and I'm gonna raise the rent. And, you know, sorry, I don't have to deal with any of the city's requirements. So we have in Alameda, not right now, a lot of units that are under rent. We have a lot of units that are under rent control, but eventually, as things are happening along the northern waterfront, especially and at um, Alameda Point, we'll have a lot of units that aren't under rent control and where landlords can, as you said, You know, they own the building, they own the property, they can take out a loan and they can make the money back to pay their loan by raising rents for all of the tenants or by evicting people even. So it's going to be a challenge and I agree with so much of that you've said but I think unfortunately we're under the constraints of um, an outdated state law called Costa-Hawkins that is not allowing. US TO ADDRESS THIS PROBLEM OF HOUSING FOR ALL LANDLORDS IN ALAMEDA. AND TO A CERTAIN EXTENT, I APPRECIATE ALL THE WORK THAT STAFF HAS DONE, AND I THINK THAT WE CAN TWEAK THIS OPTION A. I APPRECIATE WHAT um, COUNCILMEMBER VELLA HAS SAID, AND I WANT TO MAKE IT FAIR FOR TENANTS, COMPLETELY FAIR FOR TENANTS. BUT I ALSO DON'T THINK THAT TO to COUNCILMEMBER SPENCER'S COMMENTS AND SOME OF WHAT WE'VE HEARD FROM THE AUDIENCE, THERE'S GOING TO BE LANDLORDS WHO WILL SAY, that's the last straw. I'm going to sell, and it may be more likely that they're going to end up selling to um, a a corporation that can figure out how to file the fair return petition and and get that in there. And at least at this point, this would keep it under 8 percent. It has very strong, strong um, requirements and policies for who can, FOR WHAT TYPES OF PROJECTS CAN BE APPROVED AND FOR WHAT FOR THE DIFFERENT THINGS THAT CAN BE PASSED THROUGH AND IT DOES ESTABLISH AS WE HEARD THAT THE UNLIKE FAIR RETURN THAT THERE IS NO INCREASE IN THE BASE SO I'M GOING TO BE SUPPORTIVE OF OPTION A AND I WOULD LIKE TO um, HEAR IF COUNCILMEMBER VILLA IS ALSO SUPPORTIVE IF SHE WOULD HAVE SOME um, AMENDMENT TO THE MOTION TO CHANGE THE TIERS AND And I'LL
0: I'll CALL ON HERE AFTER I'VE CALLED ON COUNCILMEMBER SPENCER I JUST WANT TO CLARIFY um, MY um, d- just a couple of things that you said about we're building new units. We are indeed, and that's what's helping us to build our affordable units. So when it comes to capital improvement projects, brand new units aren't going to need uh, new um, you know, water heaters, new roof. They are new. And um, as far as um, they can charge whatever they want. No, they can't actually. It is what the market will bear. And here's the great thing about the housing we're building. It increases the supply to meet the demand. And that is one of the things that keeps landlords in check. It's also one of the things that is going to motivate landlords who have been slow to improve their properties. Um, it's a great motivator um, for them to um, to um, do the, the necessary repairs. So, um, yep, we're building new units, not under rent control. Those folks aren't going to be making um, CIP um, applications anytime soon. And uh, let's go to Councilmember Harris Spencer because she's been waiting. And then um, uh, if Council Member Vela wants to address uh, the, the question, I think uh, Councilmember Jensen posed to you, she can do that. I just want to point out, it's Council Member Harris- Spencer's motion. It, Yeah, th- this is true. Yeah. Um, Councilmember Jensen, what were you asking Councilmember Vela about her?
5: I, I, I was just going, voicing my support, and um, in the case that there would be a um, amendment to the tiers, that would be, I would support that as well.
0: Okay, okay, got that. But first, we're going to Councilmember Herrera-Spencer. You're muted still. There you go
4: so in regards to changing the tiers i do have concerns about that there's currently four levels uh two to four five to 15 16 to 24 and if we reduce it to one level so um i at most i think i would be supportive of reducing the higher level 16 to 24 but keeping the two to four and the five to fifteen um and I'll tell you why. It's because we have a lot of older housing stock that really does need repairs. The current formula has not been working. We're not getting enough applications. That means we're not getting the repairs made. And I do want the repairs to be made. So I'm supportive of trying something else. And staff has spent a lot of time on this. And I really have concerns about eliminating all of the tiers at this. it can always come back and we can see is it working but for me fair return has always been an option as we've heard so that that's something that's always there but we're trying to do here i think is honestly just help uh, the smaller landlords to be able to get the repairs done that we want the tenants to be able to live in so there is a benefit to being a tenant to being in a home where these repairs get made um, there there actually is. There is a reason why we want these repairs made from a government perspective as well as from a tenant perspective. So I don't know if, if eliminating uh, just the higher tier and having that then go to the um, no CIP option, if that would be sufficient. Uh, but I think that's a good compromise. So I'm happy to make that amendment. Um, with, would that be sufficient? What,
0: what was the amendment again, Councilmember
4: to eliminate the highest tier so there's four tiers the 25 or more but to also um put the 16 to 24 into the 25 or more so then it would be no cip if it's 15 or more units but keep the two levels of the two to four at 100 and five to 15 at 75 pass through it's a compromise council
0: member um well, you were the seconder of the motion, Vice Mayor. Uh,
18: um, if that's the uh, motion um, and the compromise that she's willing to um, put forward, I, I would support the compromise.
20: I, I actually, um, my preference would be to to just have the two to four. Um, as the compromise rather than having the 5 to 15 and the 16 to 24, and I'm happy to make an alternate motion um, for uh, for going with option A. It sounds like that's where the majority is, um, but my preference would be to, to just give the CIP uh, for the two to four units.
18: So.
0: Well, <laughs> okay, I'm not sure that was a motion. Um, yeah. it, was it a substitute motion? Was that a substitute no. motion? I'm,
20: I'm happy to make a substitute motion.
0: Okay, the substitute motion has been um, seconded, and so it takes no. precedence over. It does. Mm-hmm. It takes even precedence. If,
18: even if the original motion was seconded along yep. with the compromise. Yep.
0: Okay. <laughs> okay. Count. Count. Uh, uh. Mr.
2: Shen. Um. Just one clarification. Staffs. Uh. Recommendation to include um, uh, remediation for. uh,
20: Happy to include that. uh,
2: Yes, Uh, just want to make sure the council includes that the 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 remediation for um, uh, lead.
20: Oh,
0: yes.
2: (laughs) As a as a qualified improvement.
0: Yes. Yes. Okay. Got it. Okay. Um, Councilor Jensen. Does
5: Does this motion have to include the fund for relocation as well?
0: We can do that separately, I that think, separately. we? We'll, let's just stick to this. Okay. So the motion's been out. Oh, Council Member Harris- Spencer?
4: I'm sorry. I couldn't hear who seconded the motion.
0: Council Member Jensen did. Thank you. Welcome. Okay. We've had a motion.
18: We, I, I don't think at uh, point of um, order. So,
0: Mr. Dasak. I'm um, of order. Ask to be called on before yeah. you just uh, interrupt me because I am running yeah. the meeting. Okay, Councilman uh, Vice Mayor Days, I'd love uh, to call point you. Point of
18: order. So can we check on Rosenberg? Because if a second okay. had been made to a, a motion already, I don't think uh, it can be undone. But um, so that's my point. So if we can check um, on the Rosenberg, uh, I don't think that's true. So
0: Vice Mayor, um, you can check all you want. The city clerk is the parliamentarian of this body, and in fact, she is correct.
18: I don't think it's true. Uh, You're welcome to your
0: opinion, you're welcome to your opinion and and the clerk will send you those rules. All right. We've had a substitute motion, it's been seconded, Um, is there anything you wanted to add, City Attorney? Mr. Rush? Okay. All those in favor, signify by, Uh, oh, I'm sorry, yes, Councilmember, sorry, sorry, Councilmember Harry Spencer, I didn't see your hand up there. Go ahead.
4: Uh, Thank you, Mayor. So I will not be supporting this um, uh, motion. I think it's too extreme and doesn't achieve the purpose of what we're trying to do here.
0: Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Although, uh, once again, okay, Mr. Chen.
2: We have to do it by roll call vote. Yes,
0: we do, Uh that's true. Okay, we, um, We've had a motion, it's been seconded, and because one of our council members is um, participating remotely, we're required to have a roll call vote. If everyone was up here, we would just do a voice vote. But Madam Clerk, would you call the roll please? Uh, well, I mean, do a roll call vote.
1: Yes, Vice Mayor Dasang. Uh No. Council Member Harris- Spencer. No. Jensen. Aye. Bella. Aye. Mayor Azzy as Ashcroft. Aye. That motion carries three to
20: two. Okay. Um, all right. Um, I, I do think, uh, Madam Mayor, if we could just explain to folks what that means, um, I think that that might be helpful. Um, Go
0: ahead, or do you want staff to talk about how few um, units this represents? Yes. If, if so Mr. Chapin, I think we're looking at you.
3: Yes. <laughs> so, uh, please, please correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, my understanding is that. Uh, uh, Option A has been amended such that properties with two to four units would be eligible for 100% uh, pass-through of qualifying improvements, and properties with five or more units would not be eligible uh, for CIP.
20: And the 100% pass-through um, is still, I'm sorry, Madam Mayor. Yeah, no, it's still, is still yeah. subject to a, a cap. Correct.
3: That is correct. Thank you.
0: AND WERE YOU GOING TO ASK ABOUT THE NUMBER OF <laughs> UNITS THAT INVOLVED, OR if THAT WAS IN YOUR question? OKAY. ALL RIGHT. BUT NOW THERE IS another, um, uh, ANOTHER ASPECT OF THIS ITEM, WHICH IS THAT um, uh, THE ADOPTION OF THE RESOLUTION AMENDING THE FISCAL YEAR 2023-2024 GENERAL FUND BUDGET TO APPROPRIATE $100,000 FROM GENERAL FUND RESIDUAL FUND BALANCE for the temporary relocation tenant assistance program and um, that was already explained to us in the in the staff report so is there a motion to support that mm-hmm. Councilmember Jensen moves is there a second all second Councilmember Bella seconds any further um, discussion All right seeing then Madam Clerk may we have a roll call
1: vote please Vice Mayor Desai No nope. Councilmember Harris- Spencer Councilmember Jensen, aye. Mella, aye. Mayor as aye. That carries three to two.
0: All right. Um, thank you. So, um, with that, we have um, completed item our our single item, two uh, A, and um, we move now to oral communications, and this is non-agenda items. Do we have any oral communications? Okay. With that. We um, come to the end of the meeting and we adjourn the city council meeting. Thank you. Thank you everyone.